Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle, and you know us. We're that HR analytics dashboard helping all you HR and people leaders out there who are pulling out your hair thinking, why am I constantly doing this manual, tedious, and time-consuming process called HR reporting? That's right. We know most of you are pulling manual spreadsheets from different systems, trying to get a data-driven view of your workforce, and you're always asking yourself, why isn't there an easier way? Well, look no further. That's why we created Employee Cycle, an HR analytics dashboard that has pre-built connectors to the most popular HR systems out there. Simply connect your system. Within 15 minutes, you can get out-of-the-box dashboards and pre-built metrics to tell a data-driven story across your entire workforce. Go to EmployeeCycle.com. Check us out. Would love to schedule a demo and explore how we can help automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company because today we have an awesome guest. So please help me welcome to the show Janine Boyle. She's the Chief People Officer at Zealous. And today we're discussing how does HR manage the workforce at Hypergrowth. Janine, welcome to the podcast. Woo! Janine, Thank you so very much. It's great to be here. Thanks for awesome. having me. Awesome. We're so glad to have you. And so, Janine, we're going to kick this thing off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? Yeah, so I studied uh, psychology and business, and putting the two of them together is a great way to lead human capital in an organization is a good understanding of both. And I think nowadays really leading human centric organizations is that much more important so those um, academic backgrounds come together i started off in talent acquisition and really grew into lots of different roles within the hr function um, into business partner roles um, worked outside the united states and came back um, into you know the chief people officer that I get to be today. So that's a little bit about my background. Awesome. And we always appreciate a great origin story of an HR leader because we see it come from all different places and all different industries and roles before. So today we're talking about how does HR manage the workforce at hypergrowth? Now, there's a lot of buzzy terms in HR. Hypergrowth is not the most buzzy, but it still requires some type of explanation. So everybody knows we're talking apples to apples here. So in regards to hypergrowth for you and specifically Zealous, what does hypergrowth mean? Yeah, so for us, hypergrowth is really growing both organically and inorganically. And I told you a little bit about my background, but I feel like I've been training for this kind of role to be responsible for a company that is growing so dynamically um, and to do it in a world, obviously the years that we just lived through with COVID and then the cha- changing like market dynamics and labor dynamics and being able to grow a company in this environment. This is like, this is the the Iron Man or Iron Woman challenge that I've been training for. 
Um, so for us, we doubled the size of Zealous last year from a human capital standpoint. We grew organically, we grew inorganically by um, completing two acquisitions. And that means a lot of cultural integration and a lot of cultural um, change. And you know, we can talk about that, but the deliberateness with that we use to really shape and define our culture in this kind of um, hyper growth mode is uh, certainly a challenge. What does cultural integration mean? Because on the surface, it almost sounds like what some people call a dirty word, compromise. And so I'm curious, <laughs> what does cultural integration mean, especially if you have companies that may have very different components of the industry. And, yeah. and with that being said, how much upfront work do you even do to make sure that those cultures are aligned enough so that it will work? Because I'm assuming that that's probably half the battle before you even combine the companies, right? Yeah, well, it should be half the battle is really understanding what you have and what you're combining with. But I have to tell you, you know, we know that culture eats strategy for breakfast every single time, yet it is the thing that is so frequently skipped over to say, well, we're so busy, we'll do that later. And, you know, I've worked for lots of different really great companies who, who have done a lot of M&A work. It is the thing that's easy to, to get past or, you know, kid yourself and make you think that you're going to do it later. At Zealous, we, you know, we do cultural surveys before the integration, um, you know, just as soon as we're able to, um, you know, communicate openly as soon as the deal's closed, but really to start to get to know this company, understand what makes it tick, understand what makes it really special. And all of that really contributes to um, us really combining our cultures rather than, you know, integrating, quote unquote, integrating them. And, you know, an example that I can give you is, um, you know, we completed an acquisition about a year and a half ago, and this great company had a lot of modern talent practices around, you know, flexible paid time off and, um, and some other things. And I took a look at it and said, okay, we don't offer these things today and we should, you know, this is definitely the way that modern HR organizations are driving today. And instead of me trying to force fit something of, you know, an unpopular thing that isn't going to be so great. Why don't I make it a win-win and say, look, we just acquired this really great, innovative company. We are learning from it to, to understand what makes its workforce um, so special. And we're willing to adopt things that it's doing. So we took, you know, a 200-person a company and took its practices and applied them to our, you know, at the time, 1,500-person company so that everybody wins. And it's the notion of like this integration, but also reverse integration that you really learn from each other. Because I think that when companies are disrupting and special and you know doing something really wildly different in the market, I don't wanna necessarily take that apart. I wanna, I wanna understand it so that I can take all the cultural attributes that lead to that kind of innovation and build them into my own culture. So I think to be thoughtful about it and never arrogant to think that you're just going to come in and do whatever we do, I think it's important to um, to really get under the hood and understand what makes them tick and really combine and bring together the best of both worlds. You mentioned identifying the individual cultural attributes. And a little bit ago, you mentioned that at the beginning of this, one of the main things that you're doing is also doing this cultural assessment to understand 
what their culture looks like. So I'm going to combine that and call it the culture checklist, if, if you will. When you're going through this culture checklist, and this may be even great for companies who are trying to figure out how to even get a great culture, whether they're trying to be acquired or not. But when you're going through this culture checklist through this M&A or potential prospective M&A process, what are those main buckets of the culture that you're looking at? And within that, can you tell us, are there areas that may not be the best fit, but you're still willing to overlook versus, no, these are mission critical. And if these don't align, then this just won't work. Yeah. So I would say we're only doing these surveys after the deal's closed. So I I would say that we're never uncovering anything that would that we'd say is mission critical that we're we're not going to move forward. Um, although I've heard of some companies that would do this much earlier, we've we've been doing it as soon as we could engage with each other from a, a closed deal perspective. Um, and this is where you know corporate buzzwords can really get in the way because I'm going to say things like transparency and decision making <laughs> and collaboration. And all that sounds like motherhood and apple pie of like, oh, yeah, we're transparent. Oh, yes, we you know drive decision authority down to the lowest level. But then it's like, well, but do you? And when you have a trade off to make, like when you're trying to do something quickly, what are you willing to trade off? Um, are you authoritarian in your decision making? Um, do you trade off transparency? Do you trade off communication or collaboration in order to get something done quickly? Those are kind of the edges of what we're looking for is, you know, when under stress, where does someone go or where does this organization go? Um, what does it feel like to be a part of, of this organization? Is it, it, you know, like I said, how are, how are decisions made and things like that? And it may start to uncover, are they different from us? Are they similar in how they actually operate from a business practice standpoint? Um, are, are they similar to us? And um, where might things get um, challenging as we start to work together? Um, so those are the those are the types of things that I look for. We can all look at ourselves in the morning and say we all collaborate. Guess what? We don't. We all have, um, or some I should say, do it much more effectively than others. Some really have a mindset and an attitude around collaborating. You know, when you join a, a conference call and there's 20 people on the call, does that give you energy and say, okay, I'm bringing together these great capabilities to solve a difficult you know, problem or to to put together a plan that requires all of these different minds, or are we frustrated of like, why did it take 20 people to, to put this, you know, to put this plan together? And so I find that it's those kinds of things of like, what are our aptitudes around um, relationship building, um, collaboration, forming um, that kind of network inside a company that's going to help me understand who they are. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Outside of culture, you know, there's so many different areas of the workforce that HR, people ops need to oversee and make sure that is going right. But there's always so many things going wrong. And the faster you're moving, the faster and the more things that are breaking. So I would love to understand at a high level, what are the other major breakpoints that you see that HR is constantly dealing with mm -hmm. or that you're dealing with during this hyper growth? And then we could talk about them individually. Yeah, sure. So, so I think that for me, leading a company that has come together through acquisition over the years, and you know, I mentioned just a couple in the last year, but but all, you look at all the years prior for Zealous acquisition has been a part of our our history, 
And so there are many different companies and many different um, cultures that really make up Zealous. And as we grow, it's really important to unify those cultures into one common framework and, and fabric. And um, otherwise, it's a, it's a level of complexity of nurturing different cultures and nurturing different talent practices that frankly aren't worth it um, because everything takes you know, brain space and time and energy. And I look at it like simplicity scales. And if something is strategically important for us to differentiate, we will. If it's strategically important for me to run three different talent systems, then I will. Um, but if it can be done with one that we all align and agree upon, um, then we're going to have one. And I'll give you a very simple example. You can imagine when you acquire different companies, you have you know 10 different performance management systems. Um, you don't need 10. And if I run 10 and say, okay, everybody's unique and everybody wants to keep their own plan um, or their own practice, then I need an army just to run those different programs and practices and communications. And it's frankly just not worth it. Um, I want to choose the things that it's really worth it for us to spend our precious human energy on and not on the things that don't. Now, talent practices in, you know, from, from talent acquisition to performance management and succession planning and talent review, all of those things are really, really important practices that create wonderful results and outcomes that we want to achieve um, from, a, from a human talent perspective. But I don't need 10 different versions of each. And that, that has been my like internal coaching to myself of simplicity scales, let's choose one, let's align around one and make sure everybody is comfortable with it. And then it really serves the strategic purpose that we're going for. Um, but don't, don't bend and start allowing for deviations and things like that, unless it's strategically important. And of course, in that case, it's a totally different story, but simplicity scales. And as we you know, have come together through acquisition, it doesn't mean that we don't change practices, that we don't learn from a company that we've acquired to say, hey, they've got a really good thing going here. We're willing to try that. We're, trying, we're willing to experiment with it. Um, but I'm also not willing to have 10, 10 different ways of doing something because that's a complexity that is um, just going to eat up, like I said, the precious energy. You mentioned having a unified vision after bringing so many different cultures and so many different people and opinions from different companies into one. It made me think about all the sports movies where you have a team and maybe they're doing okay, they could be winning, could be losing, but then you bring in this new set of players to be on their team and then it's this competition. Like, oh, well, we used to do things like this, but now we're trying to do things like this. Or you need to get with the program because we've been doing things like this and we don't need to change. Whereas they're saying, well, but you need to change because that's why that wasn't working. And so when I zoom out and then I move that into the workforce, I could imagine at some level there's, well, before we combined with this company, we used to do things like this, but now we were forced to do things like this. Or I really liked the way that it was being done before. And I'm assuming in your company, people aren't wearing jerseys representing the companies that they <laughs> were with, but internally they still might yeah. be like, oh, well, I'm really this company, even though we're a part of this larger entity. And so assuming that you've had to deal with that, how did you deal with that? Yeah. 
So, I mean, look, I, we all wear jerseys, right? I mean, I'm a, a member of our people and culture um, function at Zealous. I could wear a PNC jersey. I could wear a Zealous jersey. I could wear an East Coast jersey because I'm outside of New York in the greater New York area. Um, we are tribal as human beings. It's how we form relationships and alliances. Um, it's how we organize ourselves. And to understand what you're a part of and what your history is, I think is really important. Um, I do want to have a sense of team on my team, but gosh, I also want to have a sense, a unifying sense of what it means to be a leader at Zealous. And so I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's something to unpack and to kind of understand all the different tribes that I'm a part of um, and how, what their ways of working are, et cetera. But that ultimately we rally behind a mission and a purpose. And for, for Zealous, we're, um, we have a purpose around modernizing the financial healthcare experience and journey for, um, for, for members so, and healthcare consumers. So what that means is, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, people who are listening have gone to a doctor, misunderstood a bill, didn't understand where it came from, maybe never paid it because they didn't understand it. And these are the very challenges that we're going after. Those are big, audacious goals. These would be very, very challenging things to solve. And we know that we will get more done together than separately. So sometimes I do put my PNC jersey aside and say, what's best for the enterprise? What is best for us as a company? And to have people who are willing to do that, who are willing to kind of peek their heads up out of their, um, you know, out of their rabbit holes and make sure that they're doing something that is aligned with the company's purpose and for, um, you know, the good of the, the good that we're trying to create in the world and, and in the country for how people experience healthcare. Um, we think that that's pretty important. And so does that mean that when I'm together with my team that we don't act and behave a certain way? Of course we do. Um, but it's a constant mindset reminder around lifting up, elevating and thinking bigger and thinking more broadly um, about the bigger thing that we're going after and how we know that we'll, no one's going to get there alone. No one person is going to solve the challenge that I just laid out. It's going to be through the combination of people and capabilities that we have inside our company working together to solve that, that challenge. So if we have capabilities that came in through acquisition and they don't want to partner with another part of the company, then we're just not going to realize the benefit of why we went after that, why we thought that this combination would be important. So, um, so I think it's important to like be realistic and respect the tribal nature of how we all kind of work together and build relationships, but also constantly be, be talking to people about elevating and kind of lifting up so that they see our bigger purpose and how those challenges are worth solving and that we're not going to get there alone. We really need everybody. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And as you were talking about making sure that everyone is aligned strategically to the bigger purpose and vision of not just their, whatever they're wearing their own personal jersey for, but for the entire company, it made me wonder, as the head of people, how are you making sure that all of the workforce efforts are strategically aligned with the overall business goals where things are moving so fast? And within that, how do you make sure that as you're moving so fast, things are still thoughtful? So for instance, I've had other guests on the show talk about how difficult it is to try to have a thoughtful hiring process, but also try to hire people as fast as possible. Because 
if recruiters are being rewarded for a short time to fill or time to hire, then the system might be gaming them to want to hire people that might not be the best fit, but because they're being rewarded for placing people as quickly as possible. So how do you think about all that? I think the world is moving at a pace that is so incredibly challenging and daunting. And we're all kind of in the same boat trying to keep up in a way. Um, I also realized that it will never be slower than it is right now. It's only going to speed up. And for me as the chief people officer, I think about the human in the middle of all of that. You know, the phones in our pockets are bigger computers than, you know, we had on our desks 10 years ago. And that dynamic will only accelerate and more and more technology will be available to us. We'll be able to do more and more from anywhere and all of that. That will create a tremendous amount of pressure on human beings. So leading the people function, I think about the importance of like, yes, what you what you said around being fast and thoughtful, being fast and and strategic about what we're trying to do. Speed is incredibly important to a fast growing company like the one that I lead. Um, at the same time, to be incredibly humane and to constantly be recognizing that there are people at the center of this. We're using human power. We're going after a problem that cannot be solved by technology um, or it can be helped by technology, but not completely solved. I need human beings to help figure this out. And they are only going to be at their best when they are well, when they are rested, when they get to be great moms and dads and friends and 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 children outside of, of work. So, you know, driving a wellness strategy that somewhat insulates and protects people from this massive demand that, that is out in the world um, of this pace that we're trying to keep up with. But like I said, it's only going to become it's only going to be more difficult tomorrow. Um, I want our people to feel nurtured and cared for in every aspect of life. So I think that that, that, that um, wellness approach and a very sincere wellness approach, to be honest with you, this isn't about offering apps or, or things like that to help people like do yoga or meditate. Those are fine too, but it's also to have um, work that's achievable, an environment that is fulfilling um, that we really help manage stress, that we use relationships with each other to really drive our work and also drive our fulfillment at work. I think that those will be the, the ways that we bring humans together to solve really difficult challenges. Um, we talk a lot about kind of slowing down to speed up because in a fast growing entrepreneurial kind of culture, you can sometimes spin yourself out of control. Sometimes you do need to take a step back and say, you know, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And it, it, so it doesn't mean that you always have to be running 100 miles an hour. Sometimes the best thing you can do is put your feet up on your desk and actually think um, for an hour. And that person is not taking a break. That person is just reflecting and thinking. And that's a big part of learning. It's a big part of leadership and about, you know, what we're going to do next. So I think giving people the time and the space to do that actually will help accelerate what we really get done. That totally resonated with me, especially that last part. I found myself, <clears throat> excuse me, recently being way too in the weeds of certain parts of the business. And so I've had to zoom out and get back to listening to podcasts and reading and doing other things that are triggering more strategic thoughts about the business. So that makes sense. 
But speaking of speed, this has been a fast-paced but very information-packed episode in a very short period of time, which I so appreciate, and I'm sure our audience does as well. So I'll hit you with one more bonus question, Janine, and you can choose which one you want to answer. Because So oh, because fun. you've okay. been on multiple podcasts, I find that people who have been on podcasts always hope that they get asked one specific question or get a question about a specific area, but people don't ask. So the first part is you can either choose is there one thing that you wish someone on a podcast have asked you before, or even on this podcast that you would like to answer and share? Or because we've covered so much information here, is there just one thing that you really want the audience to remember from what you said today? Oh, I guess, I guess the one piece, uh, so I, I would say the one question that I don't get asked a lot, but I try and ask other people a lot. So I'll kind of turn it around a little bit is, um, you know, what's the best piece of advice that I've ever received? I feel like this asking the question that way taps into the timelessness of advice and how leadership, you know, even in a world of advancing technology and everything else, um, you know, it evolves, but but we can always go back to the roots of, of leadership. And, um, and so I would say, what's the best piece of advice ever given to me? And I would say given to me by my grandmother, and that is to be kind. And I know that it sounds incredibly simple, but I think that being kind in business, um, being kind as a chief people officer, really building that humane, human-centered approach into everything that we do and being compassionate for people who, again, are going after big, big goals like this are an important thing to, to remember when you're in a company that's growing this big, you can only imagine how many things are coming at you every day. And to really be um, kind, I think is a great way to be. What an awesome and refreshing way to end this podcast. Janine, thank you so much for being such an awesome guest on the Employee Cycle Podcast. And we really appreciate it. All of the wisdom bombs that you dropped on us. We learned so much from you and we just can't wait to hear more from you later. So thank you so much, Janine. Woo! Go Janine! Thank you. So, Thanks for having me. Awesome. It was really fun. Thank you. So where can people find you and Zealous online? Uh, Zealous.com is where you can learn all about Zealous and um, check out careers, obviously. We are growing, so always looking for great talent. And then you can also check me out on LinkedIn. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all that contact info in the show notes. So for all of you out there listening and enjoyed this episode as much as Janine and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating. Also, if this is your first time listening to our podcast and you either came here because you're already a super fan of Janine and you just had to hear what she had to say, or you came here because you thought the topic was super compelling, but now you're hungry for more episodes, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.